I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2020 Strip-Till Farmer podcast series supported by AgriSolutions. In today's program, we share excerpts from our recent visit to strip-tiller Greg Entinger's operation in southeastern Minnesota to discuss his motivation for making the move into the practice and adopting a bottom-line versus bin-busting economic mentality. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. And a reminder that by subscribing, you will be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to AgriSolutions. AgriSolutions is the market leader in wearable parts, components, accessories, and solutions for tillage, seeding, planting, fertilizing, hardware, and inventory management solutions. Improve performance and durability with a wide range of in-field solutions to advance your strip-till system. To learn more about AgriSolutions and their three main brands, Belota, Ingersoll, and Trinity Logistics, visit agrisolutionscorp.com. Well, talking high-yield corn is always good coffee shop conversation, but does it necessarily translate to farm profitability? Spending time with Greg Entinger, the new Prague, Minnesota farmer, shared his economic-based strategy for managing his 900-acre strip-tilled corn and no-tilled soybean operation. In 2015, Greg strip-tilled all of his acres and admitted that he bet the farm on the practice, but the calculated gamble paid off with measurable economic returns, including equipment cost savings and fertilizer reduction. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, supported by AgriSolutions, we share excerpts from my on-farm visit with Greg. This is my dad's farm. I grew up on this farm. We raised... uh... Uh, 3,000 to 4,000 hogs growing up as a kid. I guess once I was out of high school and going off to my career, you kind of got rid of the pigs and so forth. So you went to a cash crop only in the early 90s. So I went to two-year tech school for drafting design, engineering, started up my career. But I was always down here in spring and fall. My life stopped spring and fall just to help out day, put the crops in and it crops out. So I was essentially free labor. I mean, <laughs> I tell people all that time, all the time, and they they laugh at me and they will go, yeah, that's true. Farm kids are like that. It's, it's free labor. So in 2008, I built my house up in that woods up there. Uh, I was living up in the cities. So I was traveling every night down here and mm-hmm. get done with work and come down here and farm until late night and go to work the next morning and rest and then come back down here and work, work again. Like I said, I built my house in 2008, um, and then my dad passed away in 2012. Okay. So I tried running, and I had my own consulting business at that time. So I was trying to do both. I was trying to run the farm. It was about 900 some acres, plus doing my engineering uh, services for cu- or customers. I did that for three years. Uh, my last year doing engineering services, I was basically got my crop in the ground. And I jumped on an airplane and was in Chicago uh, five days a week, leaving my house at 5 a.m. Monday morning and getting home 10 o'clock Friday night. So I was down here on Saturdays and Sundays getting the equipment ready just because I knew my schedule was going to be like. So it took a lot of time away from the family and so forth. And it just, I, I, I was done. I, I just couldn't do it anymore. But um, thir- so 13 was my first year farming full time. Um, 
and we had 13 was a wet season up here. We had a lot of rain, a lot of erosion and so forth. Uh, 14, um, we had a lot of moisture, but it wasn't as bad as 13, but I still had, I rebuilt my erosion areas and I was doing full with tillage at that time. Mm -hmm. I was born and bred, turned everything black. Mm -hmm. So in the summer of 14, it really kind of struck me. I'm bringing in all this new technologies to my customers in their facilities and their plants. Mm -hmm. um, why ain't I doing that on the farm? So I start looking at different tillage. Um, you know, I started looking at the no-till. I looked at the strip till and I looked at ridge till. The no-till, it, it scared me at first just because of, you know, everything you hear, everything you, you read, every, your soil needs to adapt the first two, three years, right. and then you're back to your yields. And I didn't really like throwing the fertilizer over the top. Mm -hmm. The ridge till, I, don't, I didn't see the benefits, but the strip tilling, I saw everything. I mean, you're, you're mixing it right in that soil, um, your fertilizer that you need, and you go. I mean, it, it's... So I, I have a cousin that's nine miles away. He farms as well. And we've been, once dad passed away, he's been inviting me to farming meetings. And one is the Hefty Brothers. Mm -hmm. And once I started looking at strip tilling, you know, going to Hefty Brothers events, the soil health events, they started talking about the strip tilling and all the benefits and so forth. And I'm nudging him. You know, I'm like, see, this, this is what I'm talking about. See, this is what I'm talking about. And about that time too, uh, my cousin and I were kind of complaining about our help. My nephew was helping me just like my, I was helping my dad mm -hmm. after work, go home to the family. And, but farming starts at six o'clock in the morning. So right. we kind of decided to start working together 2015. Let's go plant you, come over here and plant me, you know, the next day or two days later and so forth. But 15 was my first year strip tilling. And he was like, you know what, you do what you're gonna do. If you want to do the strip tilling, you do the strip tilling. And he's like, I'm going to just keep on doing what I'm doing, conventional tillage. Mm -hmm. So 14 going into 15, um, I got some stripping done, not all of it. And again, being born and raised, turning everything black, I did not sleep at all that, that winter. Just because, I mean, it's, what am I going to do in spring? You know, I got to get all the stripping done. I got to do this, got to do that. Mm -hmm. In the back of my head, or and is it going to work? Is, is it, is it, I'm betting a farm on it. I mean, I tell people all that time too. I bet the farm on this. If I, if this wasn't going to work, I was done farming. Cause I just, I just, you know, and everyone you talk to too, that are strippers, they're like, sell everything. It's going to work. Yeah. You know, and my closest strip tilling guys are Northfield, which is 30 miles to the east or 25 miles to the east. I got another one by Cleveland, Minnesota, which is about 25 miles to the Southwest. And then, north of Belle Plaine, that's another 25 miles mm -hmm. to the northwest again. So it wasn't really here, but I decided to do it. I, I, I believed in the, the, the process of it, but again, I didn't sleep that first winter. How, how much did you strip till that first fall? I did everything. Well, that first fall, well, <laughs> I, I wanted to be told how to do this. Sure. And everyone's like, everyone is different. You gotta, you gotta figure out for yourself how you're gonna do it. Mm -hmm. I, like I said, I, I run about 900 acres. I split it in half, so 450 corn, 450 soybeans. So my first year strip and my first fall, I did 100 acres of just P and K. I did 100 acres of P and K and ENS or urea, encapsulated urea. And then I got froze out. 
So I was left with 200, some 250 acres of unstripped soybean stubble going to corn. Mm -hmm. And then my corn stubble, actually I was able to go out in my corn stubble because the corn stubble didn't freeze, my bean stubble froze. Mm -hmm. So I was able to do a lot of my corn stubble going to soybeans. And you were strip tilling that too? I was strip tilling that too right away. And then that's, like I said, I didn't get all my stripping done and I wanted to get done. Um, so then that spring, it was a perfect spring. I, mm -hmm. I got out there before anyone else got out there. And, you know, so I did my 250 acres with e, or P and K and urea. Mm -hmm. And then I put the urea on the area or that 100 acres that I had just the P and K on. Mm -hmm. So I basically, you know, strip tilled twice over that ground. But then I left that other 100 acres that had the ENS on it. I did not know that this was going to work until I drove my first 25 feet in the field. You know, you drive your 25 feet, you stop and you start digging up seed and that zone was so fluffy. It was worked up so beautifully. We had good soil seed contact. Everything was there. So it's like, how can this not work? You know, I was worrying about this sleepless nights. How is this going to work? How is this going to work? And now I'm like, how is this not going to work? So that year, I mean, my cousin was quite impressed. Mm -hmm. um, and watching it go through the growing season, we had a perfect growing season. I had guys telling me I got the greenest corn in the county. Guys thought I was crazy for doing what I'm doing, uh, but you know they said I got the greenest corn in the county. <laughs> Even too that first year, I ran into an old timer at the elevator, and I said, "Hey, what do you think about my strip tilling?" Ah, it ain't gonna work. Mm -hmm. It's not gonna work up in this climate. I'm like, "Oh, great!" You know, old timer telling me this. So it just it went through, and my cousin was so impressed. And you know, harvest, I didn't lose a yield. I, you know, my yield this year, this far or this field right here, right behind the farm. I mean, I got yield record data from my dad, you know, from early 90s, and that was the best yielding corn that that field has ever had in 2015. Wait, what did you end up? Uh, I think that field averaged 235 wow. on 38 acres. I think my best yield my dad ever saw was probably 210. So it, it was just, holy cow, you know. As the year progressed, you know, going to more meetings and so forth, my cousin's like, you know what, I want to try this. Mm -hmm. Um, so that fall after harvest, um, we stripped about, he runs about the same amount of acres. So we stripped about half of his corn and half of his soybeans and he did conventional tillage on the rest. At that year, that time too, we bought a side dress bar so we can, uh, side dress cause I was relying on all my urea inside that zone. So then that first year we we're putting down P and K and urea. If it was in the spring or P and K in the fall and urea in the spring, just a half a blend. Oh, you know, roughly how much you guys were putting in the strip back then, I guess. Yeah, it was about a hundred pounds, so 40 pounds of N, but yeah, about a hundred pounds of urea. But if we're putting down P and K and urea, we're putting down 300 some pounds per acre. Okay. And the strip till rig that I got is a single hopper. So it has to be a blend. So I don't have yeah. a hopper for P and K individually and urea individually. So we did that and, you know, he watched his growing on his own, on his own acres. And, you know, I did hundred percent here, strip filling. Um, and we just watched and he was so impressed that that following year, 17, he hundred percent stripped. Mm -hmm. um, and 17, I tried no-till soybeans on 40 some acres. And the way that field just adapted to no-till soybeans into the corn stubble was amazing. Um, and we kind of looked at each other. I'm on the adage of, if you don't try something, you're not learning. Right. You know, so 
let's try 20 acres or 30 acres and see what happens, you know, and, and my soil has changed. Um, you know, guys I talked to when I went down to the National Strip Till Convention, they always said it takes three or four years for your soil to adapt, uh, become looser and so forth. And now I'm 100% no-till soybeans. We'll get back to the discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, AgriSolutions, for making this podcast possible. Improve performance and durability with a wide range of infield solutions to advance your strip-till system. To learn more about AgriSolutions and their three main brands, Belota, Ingersoll, and Trinity Logistics, visit agrisolutionscorp.com. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from Greg Entinger on how he weighs the economic value of adding bushels versus boosting his bottom line. Strip tilling is considered conservation tillage. Mm-hmm. I don't consider myself a cons- you know, mm-hmm. conservationist. I became an accidental conservationist. Um, you know, my, like I said, my erosions issues that I've had in the past and those heavy rains has basically disappeared. I mean, I run, I'm in the hills of Lesur County, uh, Minnesota, and it's just, it's different. If you go to my cousin's nine miles away to the Northwest, it's flat. Mm-hmm. He's more by the river bottoms, by Belle Plaine there. Not in their bottoms, but he's on a river mm-hmm. topside. So it's, it's flatter up there, but I got some hillsides here. So it just, it helped me out with my erosion controls. And it's just, it, it's like, wow, okay. So, so as we sit right now today, you know, we're stripping P and K in the fall of the year. We're coming back in spring. I mean, that's my strip till rig. Yep. It's a single hopper. I got P and K in there. And, you know, when I first started doing this, you know, I needed to find an agronomist that did strip tilling before mm-hmm. that I felt comfortable with. And that's one thing I highly recommend. Mm-hmm. You got to make sure you feel comfortable with your agronomist. I actually swore or switched companies. I went from one company to another company just because the agronomist, he's dealt with strip tilling before. Just meeting and talking with him, I felt comfortable. My cousin knew him before. Mm-hmm. So I needed to make a change. I made a change with him. You know, it, it, I listened to his advice. We we're putting on probably 200, 250 pounds of P and K. Okay. Um, but now the last three years, I've been kind of challenging him. Um, my fields are pretty built up with nutrients. So why am I putting this basic rate down mm-hmm. across all my fields? So I've been challenging him and I've been writing my own prescriptions because I'm starting to become my own agronomist. And that's one thing I think farmers need to become is they need to know their soil. They need to know the fertilizer they're putting on and how they're doing it. So now I'm writing prescription maps for my fields and saying, okay, hey, this area I'm putting on 100 pounds instead of 200 pounds. So I'm putting half rate on here. Okay. I'm taking crop removal, putting crop removal on to those areas. But then where my areas that need to be built up I'm putting on the, the 200, 200 pounds of product. Mm-hmm. So I'm putting on extra, I'm putting on more than crop removal. I'm putting on uh, just to build up my soil. In this economy right now, who can afford to build their soil up? And that's the thing. Yeah. But by me doing what I'm doing and writing these prescriptions. You're just reallocating. I'm reallocating areas. I'm taking out less here, putting on more there. Mm-hmm. And I just actually wrote my prescriptions and I'm about 20,000 pounds lighter than just putting a straight 200 pound blend on. Okay. So, I mean, can't remember the price of fertilizer off the top of my head, but sure. <coughs> 20,000 pounds times whatever, a dollar, I mean, that's $20,000 in my pocket. Yep. I mean, who can put $20,000 in the pocket? 
I just did, you know, or I can put that $20,000 somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So what, what kind of P&K are you, are you using? Standard P&K. I, I'm not into that depth of sure, agronomy. Sure, sure. No, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> so no, yeah, I mean, it's, here's my basic strip tilling. I mean, this is the equipment I got rid of. I mean, I got rid of a ripper. I got rid of a fill culvert. I got rid of a four-wheel drive, uh, 300 horsepower tractor. I also sold my bean drill with that because the bean drill wouldn't work in the strips. So I was able to sell all that to buy that guy. Mm-hmm. Well, this stuff sat in the shed for three years before I sold it just because I didn't know if this was going to work or not. But, you know, it's a 12-row machine. Um, it's a Coulter-style row units on it. And I'm pulling it with a smaller 7 Series 260 horsepower tractor. So I've downsized horsepower just to pull that little, that not little machine, but mm-hmm. that machine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and this technology in this tractor versus that one, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, guys need to start looking at their expenses. Ripping was a gallon, well, a gallon and a half to two gallons per acre. Uh, fill cultivating was a gallon per acre, gallon and a half per acre. So, I mean, if you go on the high end, that's gallon and a half plus two and a half, mm-hmm. that's four gallons per acre times three bucks. Now you're at 12 bucks an acre. The strip till bar or strip till rig with this tractor is using about a half gallon per acre. Mm-hmm. So I'm saving three and a half gallons per acre. And that was my thing, you know, just getting into the farming business in, in 13 and 14, going to the Agstar bank meetings, you know, you guys got to cut costs, cut costs, cut costs. Mm-hmm. How do you cut costs? Fertilizer prices aren't going down. Seed prices aren't going down. Land rent prices aren't going down. How do we cut costs? Mm-hmm. Well, you got to figure it out yourself. So, you know, everyone's saying you got to cut costs, cut costs, cut costs, but how do you do it? I just took off, you know, 12 bucks an acre. Yeah. And now I'm saving about three, I, I think I had, well, last year I estimated about three bucks an acre for fertilizer. Guys need to change mentalities. Cause when I first started farming, it was big yield. I need 250 bushels an acre, 250 bushels an acre. Mm-hmm. I put product out there for 250 bushels an acre. These fields can't generate 250 bushels an acre. I'm not gonna be the highest yielding person in my county, but I wanna be. Mm-hmm. A lot of farmers wanna be. So guess what? I lost a lot of money. I put a lot of fertilizer out there. I lost a lot of money the first two years trying to do that. Then my mentality changed and said, you know what? If I can make money at 170 bushels an acre, Mm -hmm. instead of losing money at 220 bushels an acre, I want to make money at 170. So if I grow 170 bushels an acre and make money, I want to grow 170 acre bushel of corn. Well, those three cobs over there are not 170 bushels an acre. So between those three cobs over there, what am I averaging? 230? So there's 60 bushels an acre at $3 a bushel profit mm-hmm. per acre. So that's what I think people need to change their mind. It's not the biggest yield. Get away from that. How do you make money? Well, thank you, Greg, for letting us spend some time on your operation and learn more about your successes and challenges developing a profitable strip till system. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, AgriSolutions, for helping make this Strip-Till Farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. 
You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptailfarmer.com for our free strip-till strategies daily e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptill F-A-R-M-R, and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2020 podcast series. For Greg Entinger, AgriSolutions, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Zemlicka. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.